With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yes, yes. Welcome in to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network. I am your host, Tim McKernan, alongside executive producer John Seymour, and we are in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Our guest today, Julie Stewart Banks. Now, I say the name. And some of you might go, oh, yeah, because that's what I had happen when I tweeted out that we were having Julie Stewart Banks on the show. Some people are like, oh, my God, that's awesome. What a great guest. But I also recognize this. Some of you might be going, who is Julie Stewart Banks? But I kind of like that because you're going to get to know her here. Uh, Julie Stewart Banks uh, was on ESPN. She was on Fox Sports 1. And where she is now is doing a show, I guess you would call it Morning Drive, on Barstool Sports. Barstool Sports, it's weird to kind of explain it because it's this monster force now. But if you're in your 40s or 50s, there's a chance you're not all that familiar with it. Um, it certainly is owning the 20-somethings from a national perspective. ESPN, I think, is trying to figure out what the hell to do uh, because Barstool Sports is just taking over. The most popular podcast now, uh, for my money, it's this one, but in reality, it's Pardon My Take, which is Barstool Sports podcast. Uh, And Julie Stewart-Banks had a choice. Um, She was kind of sitting in her home in, in Los Angeles, as you'll hear her describe as to whether or not to stay with kind of the mainstream sports casting path or to go for the road less traveled. And she decided to do that and went to Barstool Sports. Uh, but she was, you know, she's a, she's a Canadian who uh, was working and covering soccer on ESPN. She's a sideline reporter. And you'll hear not only her career story, but also respond to the criticism that Barstool gets that it's kind of a frat. And what is she doing you know, being part of the frat. She's got a great personality, uh, and that's one of the reasons why she has been so successful. She's so likable, uh, self-deprecating, but passionate about uh, the business, the industry, and also women in sportscasting. And in particular, something that I've found to be um, unfortunate, really, uh, but that that oftentimes if a woman is going to get a job in sports casting, it's simply going to be as a sideline reporter or as an anchor. And what she wanted to do was be able to express her opinions. And, and hey, she, it's not like a case where she couldn't get a sideline reporting gig. She had one. 
but she wanted to be able to give her opinions, and that's why she went to Barstool. So you will hear that story, uh, plus her opinions on a variety of topics. And really what gets down to it is the most important one. She loves French fries, and we get into her favorite French fry, which to me is really a character tell for everyone. So that's coming up here today on the Tim McKernan Show. We do it all from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am in the process of talking with Ryan Kelly and the HomeLoanExpert.com team about doing business as we speak. And that's how passionately I feel about the HomeLoanExpert.com team. You can just go to the HomeLoanExpert.com right now and see for yourself how five minutes can save you $500 a month. Five minutes can save you $500 a month. Why not just try? I mean, my word, just entering in information and going, oh, I didn't even realize it was sitting there. I just saved $500 a month. It's borderline irresponsible not to do it. And Ryan Kelly is not some fly-by-night operation. He's been doing this for years in the St. Louis area, and he continues to expand. And there's a reason why. He saves his clients money, and his staff takes great care of his customers. That's the name of the game. Online at the Home Loan Expert. Dot com, and this is a guy who pays it forward. He doesn't need to, but he does. Sure, he could just write checks, but he goes out and he does it. He puts his money where his mouth is, fresh off the baton, Memorial Death March. He did that to raise money. He's climbed mountains to raise money. Plenty of times when there are no cameras or PR people around, he's at Children's Hospital to cheer up the children at Children's Hospital in St. Louis. That's the kind of guy he is, plus he runs a great business. Ryan Kelly. Online at thehomeloanexpert.com, our studio sponsor, and where we talked it over with Barstool's Julie Stewart-Binks. So, Julie, I'm always curious when it comes to broadcasting, not just the how, but the why you got into it. From my standpoint, I kept getting cut from everything, and so if I wanted to stay close to sports, that was my only choice. Uh, What about for you? Why did you decide to get into it? Um, mine is sort of a, an interesting moment, I would say. I went to university to pursue sports psychology, and my mom was a radio broadcaster for news in Canada. She's also on TV for CBC. And when I was at Queen's University in Canada, she just suggested to me in my second year, oh, you know, you should just join a club, join the radio station CFRC. And so, you know, me not really knowing anything about it at all, I thought, all right, you know, I'll go try to make some new friends, whatever. So I went to the radio station. They said, you know, we're we're full of volunteers. Maybe come back um, next semester. So I thought, all right, well, I guess I won't do that. And then I thought, well, why don't I try the TV station? Because I've already been thinking about broadcasting. So I went to the campus TV station, which at the time was called Studio Q. Uh, it's now called Queen TV. I walked in. I was like, hey, I'd love to sign up. They said, great, we need someone to do an interview tomorrow at a coffee house, you know, like some some silly campus coffee review or whatever. So I thought, all right, let's go do it. You know, I, I got so excited for it. And I remember as soon as I finished the interview, which was not really anything special at all, I thought, you know, I, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. But I wanted to do it with sports. I've always been into sports, but I just loved the adrenaline and performance aspect of broadcasting now combine that with being able to tell stories within sports and I'd always been an athlete growing up had I was doing a phys ed degree at the time so it just felt perfect and then I started doing more and more sort of sports stories for Queens TV and it was just like all right this is exactly what I know what I want to do with my life so that was a defining moment right there how about that that's uh that's pretty cool that it actually came to you that way 
It is. And I, I like distinctly remember even like everything I was wearing, you know, typing up my questions for some coffee house interview and just after it all, just, just feeling so exhilarated. And again, it wasn't sports my first interview, but I thought, let's do this now with the volleyball team, the squash team, the football team, all these different things. And, uh, and you know, of course I was really bad back then, like very awkward, but <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. And I thought if I can, um, kind of keep going with this thing, like maybe I can make something out of it. So uh, you're one of the few people who have worked at both ESPN and Barstool, um, if you would <laughs> compare and contrast. Uh, yeah, I think I would, I, I guess I would be pretty much the only one that has lasted past one show. Uh, cause two of my <laughs> co-workers have, have worked there for one show. Um, I was at ESPN doing soccer in the last year, so I wasn't really in the studio that much. I did a couple of appearances on Sports Center for hockey, which was really cool. Um, you know, the two, uh, I said this in an interview once, but the two couldn't be on one hand more different and then also extremely similar. Uh, they're both trying to do the same thing in a way. They're both kind of trying to figure out the future of where interests in viewing habits lie in, in where we see media content growing and Barstool does it in a way where they have a targeted audience that is very, very loyal, very sticky. They use sort of um, auxiliary methods of merchandise, of um, different promotional aspects. That they really connect with the viewer, with the listener. You know, for instance, today we're doing March Madness, and we did. We we all got to pick uh, a school that was located between the ninth and the sixteenth seed, and then we will ride that, and then whoever wins. Or like whoever school goes the furthest gets to go to Vegas. So, you know, it's kind of then connected with these schools. I have NC State and even like all the NC State kids, like I'm almost like representing them in my office. So uh, you, you sort of really reach out to that particular person and we interact with everyone. Um, and it's sort of, it, it's very, you know, their, their, you know, logo essentially is, and, and for lack of a, you know, better word, it'd be, you know, by the common man slash person for the common man slash person, because it is just like regular people doing regular things and just that what you think would be funny and interesting. And then ESPN on the other side is such a huge enterprise. I mean, it's a worldwide leader in sports, you know, you, you, the huge games, the big personalities, it is the creme de la creme. And it's saying that it is whatever, everything we do at Barstool is based off of what you see on ESPN. So ESPN is almost like the ground level of, Sports. Like they are the sports and Barstool is how do we make those sports and those things that happen funny to other people. So they both play, you know, different roles. Of course, you get to have a little bit more personality, not as many boundaries at Barstool uh, uh, for the medium, for the audience. And ESPN, on the other hand, uh, is, is a little bit more on the professional side, a little more buttoned up. So there's sort of two different demeanors that go with both. But both of them have an audience, and they have a crossover audience, too. So that is something to keep in mind when you're working for both. So here's, here's what I'm really fascinated by when it comes to Barstool, and I have a great, great deal of respect for it. I, I feel like people watch or listen to ESPN mainly because of history, convenience, and it is, as you said, uh, at least self-promoted as the, the worldwide leader in sports. But with Barstool, there is a passion and a feeling of uh, an uprising, a revolution in sports casting of sorts, and it has really resonated in particular with uh, with young 
people in their 20s, 30s. Why do you think Barstool has been able to form that kind of loyalty from its audience? Um, well, I think, that, first of all, Dave Portnoy has done such an incredible job from the beginning of just connecting with the common person and in in growing with that person, doing things that would be uh, just fun. Like, it is pushing the boundaries and people say, oh, wow, did you hear this? Did you listen to this show? I can't believe they said that. And that's almost just sort of, it's very edgy. It's It's funny. And, you know, a lot of the times I watch ESPN now and they are in a way, in their own way, trying to do what Barstool is doing. But of course, they can't do it to the same extent just because of, you know, what they're allowed to do on their medium that they have. When you you are on the internet, when you are this anti-establishment, you know, you're going against the grain, you you know, you bully everyone on the internet, you are, you're sort of this... uh, you're this enigma, like you're very different. You can say whatever you want, whatever you do is is the antithesis of, of the norm. And I think people really like that because, you know, when you look at BarcelonaSports.com, the articles you're going to see are the stuff that you're going to talk to your friends about saying, hey, oh, my gosh, did you see this random thing happened the other day? And then, oh, our, our takes on them. So it's not just reporting the news, but it's having a, a comedic or even sometimes like – uh, very, very edgy take on something, which is funny. And it is, it, you know, the more that I've been working here, and I didn't really realize it beforehand, but just what element of sort of um, comedy there is with Barstool. I kind of just thought it was, uh, you know, just, just a very tomboy, low-key, um, you know, authentic, which it definitely is, like, be yourself, be this, this sort of website enterprise. But no, it is... It's incredible how much work people put into every aspect of the website, of their content. And Francis Ellis is one of my co-hosts. He's, he is a comedian. And that, I feel, is where they're kind of trying to go with it. It's like sports comedy. I started taking improv classes so that I could be quicker on the radio, but also be able to react and respond in almost like ske- in a sketch comedy way, too. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would like to almost develop a little bit more. It's just the writing aspect for it. It's kind of like a sports SNL. Um, and, and in that way, that gets the audience, but also the bite-sized format and content that it creates is what people like too. It's easily accessible, but also like we're working on a couple different shows behind the scenes that are not more than five to seven minutes long, like a full show. When I came to Barstool, I wrote a half hour show and they said, scrap that, like get rid of that. You, you're thinking in TV, you're thinking in half hour, an hour. No, we're not doing that here. Like, you're going to do a segment that's going to be one minute long. So it's a different way of thinking because people don't have, don't have the attention span anymore. They don't have, you know, they want short content. Boy, that's amazing that that, that, that is the truth, though. That's the way that things have, have, have changed. And, uh, you know, I went to the University of Missouri Journalism School, and everything was about trying to weave in nat sound pops here and good sound bites there. And in reality, yeah. even though that was only – you know, the late 1990s, it, it's, it's totally in the past. Local news is still doing it, I guess, to an extent, but that's not a media that's growing, whereas Barstool is growing. The other thing that I like about what you have been able to do, um, and I find, you know, and, and I, I know that you're friends with Katie Nolan, I feel like, you know, I, I, I operated radio stations in St. Louis in addition to hosting our, our morning show here for 14 years, and I've always tried to find diversity, now, not just hire somebody because they're female or not just hire somebody because they're minority, whatever the case might be. 
but go out of the way to try to, because that way you can get different perspectives. I feel like it's the right thing to do. I don't think I'm healing the world. I just think it's smart business. Um, and, and what you said in a recent interview, and I have the quote here, is that you're actually in a position to give your opinion at Barstool more so than you would be at ESPN or Fox Sports 1, where you're just the moderator and you're kind of putting it on a tee for Skip Bayless or Shannon Sharp, as you said in this quote, even though people may view Barstool as being a frat. How do you view in 2018, Julie, the marketplace for women as expressing their opinions in sports media, as opposed to what you had done as a sideline reporter or what you see oftentimes as the moderator role for the female? Um, I think it's definitely improving, and uh, I would say also between ESPN and FS1, having worked at both, there is immense differences between the two. I think ESPN does a very good job and is getting even better at putting women in very big roles, strong roles to celebrate and encourage them to have their opinion, to be leaders in sports, and not just be sort of the host, moderator, sideline reporter, and even from Beth Moens to Doris Burke to Jamel Hill and Michelle Beagle and Rachel Nichols and Sam Ponder and just like name after name, it's incredible. And I feel my my quote in the second regard was um, not properly, I felt as though when I do look at FS1, and I, I, this isn't like a crazy thing to say, is that the women that you mostly see, very few and far between, do not have um, the same level playing field as most of the men. And that's just like um, a very, that's a cultural norm within sports that is changing, but it is certainly one that still exists. And, you know, also when you look at Barstool, go back to even a year. There was there was only basically Erica Nardini, our CEO, who have just got hired, and then right. um, Fran and Rhea, who do the segment Chicks in the Office, were interns then. They're also very young. They're 20 and 23. So then I was hired, then Liz Gonzalez was hired, and then Casey Smith was hired. So within the last six months, um, essentially now Barcelona has become very progressive. Um, ironically, when they're sort of considered this frat sort of site, it's just boys, it's sort of this college humor, all that kind of stuff. But when I when I was approached by them, they said, we want to let you do whatever you want. We want to give you your own soccer show, your own hockey show, your own football show, your own radio show, whatever you want to do. Do you want to do a drinking segment? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Do you want to anything in the world? And I was at sort of a crossroads in my life where I was chopping at the bit for more and more responsibility, at least like from ESPN where I was working last year and I was on a very tight leash in terms of um, what I was allowed to do just based on my contract. And I kind of just, um, you know, I was sitting on the beach in my old home in L.A. reading this book, You're a Badass. And it kind of like motivated me to think like, what is it that you really want? Like at the end of the day, what do you want? Is it that you want to be the best sideline reporter? Is it that you want to be the best host? And I just kept coming back to the idea of I want my own show. Like, I want, I know that I'm capable of having a personality and opinion like a Katie Nolan. And I also know that I'm a, 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 the ability to have a professional insight and conduct interviews, say, like um, Rachel Nichols, Michelle Beadle, Carissa Thompson, all the women that I always look up to. And I thought, you know what? I felt as though it was more than just a 10 second injury update for MLS, which I love covering MLS. I would love you know, to continue covering MLS, but I just felt um, always constrained. And when you know in your heart that, like, 
you know you could be giving more and you know what you're doing maybe isn't necessarily being used to your full potential, it certainly motivates you to shake things up. And at the same time with the trajectory of how the industry is changing, I thought you've got to, you've got to completely change your way of thinking and your path that you're on now, or you could just end up doing this for the rest of your life, which is not a bad job at all, but you could just be the soccer girl for the rest of your life. And again, that's fine, but I knew I could do more than that. And so take going to Barstool, taking a bit of a risk, you know, going out of mainstream media into what is always kind of known as like a bro blog site was essentially a little bit of a risk. But at the same time, they have 140 page, million pages a month. They have over 3 million Instagram followers, over a million Twitter followers. And I have been recognized more in the last six months for working at Barstool than I ever had being at ESPN or FS1. I knew that they are on to something that is certainly within how the tide is changing. Where that goes, I'm not sure, but I'm I'm very excited to be like so hands-on. I produce all my own content. I produce a two-hour radio show in the morning, producing a hockey show, a soccer podcast, a drinking segment. It's exhausting, but this is what I wanted, and they give, let me do whatever I want. Oh, that's super cool to hear. And this, the name that you did wind up doing the drinking segment for the record, Julie Stewart drinks. Yes, and you know that just came out of us trying to figure out the name of the morning show, and we we're kind of just joking around with my name because it uh, rhymes with everything at the end. And then we're like Julie Stewart drinks, and I thought, you know what? Why don't we do like a bar review, or we go around and go to different sporting events? Like this weekend, I'm gonna it's St. Paddy's Day, very big drinking event, but also it's Six Nations, Ireland versus England. So I thought, you know what? We'll tie in the Ireland, England, Six Nations to St. Paddy's Day. We'll, you know, go see that whole culture while also doing Irish car bombs and shots of Jameson, and we can do that. Like, normally on other on other places, like ESPN and FS1, you can't show drinking, you can't show certain labels, you can't do any of that. While I know that they want to do that, because I've been told they were, want to do a bar segment, they can't. So, you know, drinking is a part of our life. Yes, you don't want to be, like, glorifying it to a point like that alcoholism is glorified, but, like, to the point that it, you know, people do do these kinds of things, and we might as well just have fun with it, so... Good, it's been good. good. For it's you, just man. a different way of thinking. When you mentioned, you know, going to um, journalism school, I have a master's in journalism. These things are not. Uh, this isn't the norm. But again, society changing very rapidly. You kind of have to alter your perception too. So let me ask you about this because this is a guy that 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 our show in St. Louis. We love to play clips of Mike Francesa, and I understand you have a rapport with Mike Francesa, and it has to do with a random caller. A couple of years ago? Yeah. Um, yeah, Mike, uh, you know, I used to do the updates into his show when it was on FS1 every day, uh-huh. like every 20 minutes. And some guy called in and just said, you know, Mike, who's this Julie Stewart Binks? He comes <laughs> on and does these um, updates. And Mike had never, didn't know who I was. He was like, I don't know. He was just like, is she blonde? Because they're all blondes at Fox. And then it was like, yeah, yeah she is blonde. And they kind of just had like a little banter back and forth. And then Mike... Uh, called my boss and he apologized. He just said, I didn't, you know, I, I hope I didn't come across as like really rude or just like assuming you were blonde or insinuating you were some sort of bimbo. And whenever you're in town, we'd love to have you on the show. And I thought, oh, this is really, really cool that Mike, you know, first of all, the, you know, say sorry, but then also to invite me on. So then I went on when the Rangers were in the Stanley Cup. We talked hockey. We had a lot of fun. Every time I had come back to New York, I would go visit them in the studio. Even though I wouldn't go on, I would just say, hey, we catch up, all this stuff. And then 
I went on a show, I guess, right before he left. And then also he came on my first show. So it was kind of cool to like, everything came full circle where I was on Mike's last show. He was on my first show. And, uh, you know, he's a a sports mope. And and that was was neat to kind of establish that relationship with him. Uh, So give me an idea of what he's like behind the scenes. Because I'm fascinated by, I mean, doing five hours by yourself. I mean, God, I can't imagine for real. Yeah, I mean, he gave us advice on our first show, and that was that, you know, it, it might be fun today, it might be fun tomorrow, but he's like, you have to figure out a way to do this every day for the rest of your life. And he's like, that's not easy at all. And it's really, really tough. And, you know, Mike and him, he would, he would um, you know, fight with the callers, and then he had, you know, when he was with Mad Dog, of course, that was a, an interesting era, too, of course, huge. <laughs> but um, he's, a, he's a great guy. Like, he's, you know, he seems very down-to-earth. He seems like a, a good family guy, likes playing golf. He's pretty simple, but uh, he also, he knows where the buttons are married. You know, he knows everyone, yeah. and everyone knows him. You know, he's, he, they were trying to get uh, President Trump on his final show, too, which they all did because he has a relationship with him. So he's, he even told me, he's like, if you ever cover NFL, let me know, because I know, I know who you need to know and who you need to talk to. So he's the kind of guy who's very loyal, and he'd have your back, and uh that's pretty much, I, I don't know him like beyond sort of the last couple of years, but he's always been a, a great guy to me. All right. So I know I, you said uh, the, you got plenty of things to do, but I got to make sure I ask about this because our show, it's very important to our show, French Fries. And I saw a quote from you that if I'm not mistaken, your favorite food, and if it's the only thing you could eat, it would be <laughs> French Fries. Is that, is that an accurate quote or did somebody uh, misreport? Oh no, that's very accurate. I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan of, of French fries, massive, um, all kinds. You know, I have to try to limit myself because I would eat them every day if I could. But you know, <laughs> truffle, sweet potato, wedge, steak, waffle cut, curly, you name it. <laughs> I'm a big of, fan. Of, of, of the God bless you, God bless you. Of all of those, <laughs> which one is your favorite? Oh, I mean, right now it's the hip thing, but you can't go wrong with truffle fries. They're always good. Um, also, in Canada, we have poutine. So that's a whole other ball game where you've got the cheese curds and the gravy. So that's more of like end of the night when you've had a couple drinks, you want to sober up a little bit of that. And sweet potatoes, uh, that always makes you feel a little bit healthier when you're, you're thinking you're not doing it too badly to your health. But, you know, anytime there's a fry, I will not turn it down. God bless you. Ste- steak or waffle, real quick, this is very important to me. Steak or waffle, you, they're sitting there in front of you. Where do you reach first? Ooh, I think steak. Waffle, waffle, it depends on the consistency. Yeah, sometimes waffle gets me. I'm not, I'll eat it, but it's not my always my favorite. <laughs> Julie, congratulations on all your success. Major respect to you for uh, for deciding to, to go against the grain, choosing the road less traveled and taking a chance. Obviously, it's working out. Really appreciate the time and uh, continued success to you and everybody at Barstool. Hey, thanks, Tim, for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was a great talk. So there she is, Julie Stewart-Banks, talking it over regarding Barstool and uh, a potpourri of other topics, most importantly, of course, the one we saved the best for last favorite french fry but we're not done no no we're not done kind of a sneaker twofer here uh so you're rewarded for sticking around we had rich eisen on and this came up uh on questions from the audience and it was one of those and i realized for the audience here's a little inside baseball on how this stuff works um 
you know, you get you get guys such as Rich Eisen, and you know they're just kind of doing either a couple of interviews because they're promoting something. And in this case, he was on to promote what at the time was uh, a Rams game on Thursday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It turned out to be the last St. Louis Rams home game ever uh, in the city of St. Louis. And so he was on to promote the NFL Network's telecast. And one of the questions from the audience, I think it was within the last uh, week or two, was favorite interview that surprised you as a good interview. And I don't recall who it was who answered it. It doesn't matter. But one of the answers was Rich Eisen on TMA because we thought he was just kind of doing a media tour interview. And then we wound up and you'll hear it because we're going to play it here. Uh, he wound up kind of getting caught off guard, but not in a, hey, where are you guys going with this? But, a, well, I didn't expect this interview to turn into this, but since you're asking me about it, and he got really comfortable. And, and then one of the things that, if you like this show, I'd like to think one of the things you like is that you hear these guests most of the time talk in ways that you normally don't get a chance to hear them talk. Now, that's not because of me. That's because... Uh, they're given an hour or 90 minutes to extrapolate on some things that otherwise are just heard in sound bites or tweets, and you get a sense of their personality. For example, I've had a number of conservatives say, well, I really don't like, uh, for example, Alderwoman Green, who was a guest a few months ago. But now that I've had a chance to hear her, uh, I, I still disagree, but I, but I get where she's coming from. Or somebody who's liberal saying, well, I really uh, don't like Jim Talent's policy ideas. But I like the way that he frames his argument and I can respect him. And that, while I'm not trying to heal the world by any means, that is one of the things that I've enjoyed most about this is that people are getting a chance to hear from people they otherwise wouldn't get a chance to hear from and hear at lengths that they normally don't get a chance to hear from these people. Uh, so the Rich Eisen interview, I just thought when we were going to have him on, it's like, okay, Rams playing the Buccaneers tonight. Really, nobody cares. Is this really the last Rams home game? And certainly we talked a little bit about that. We edited that out because we know what wound up happening. But how we got into ESPN, how we got into Stuart Scott, uh, his partner on, on, on SportsCenter for so many years, uh, it just wound up really being a good interview. And it ties into the questions from the audience thing because we brought up Rich Eisen and how surprising it was. And so we wanted to include that, and that was the Seamaster's idea, and it's a great idea. So we're going to do that here as a little surprise uh, for those of you who stick around for everything. You're going to get Rich Eisen on the uh, back end here of our Julie Stewart Binks interview. All of this is made possible by our sponsors. Without our sponsors, we got nothing, Jack. That's the reality. And James Carlton and the James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency has been with us from the very beginning. They took a bet. We're grateful that they did make that bet six-plus months ago now with the Tim McKernan Show uh, and the Cat Chat on the Inside STL Podcast Network. Great stuff from James Carlton. He truly gets it, and that's why his business continues to grow. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. The number, 314-961-4800. Uh, Jim Hayes of the Cat Chat and I have visited his offices. And honestly, I thought, I'm I'm like, okay, I'll come over to your office. You know, I mean, I have an office. I don't really know if you really want to see it. But the reason he wanted us over at his office was because he has a huge staff. And you usually don't see that with insurance agencies. But he has a huge staff because he doesn't want anybody who call 
calls him to ever get voicemail. He wants them to talk to somebody directly. It's an old school mantra from a younger guy, but he gets it, and that's really important to people. And that's why the customer service reviews at James Carlton Insurance are so positive and so enthusiastic. 314-961-4800. 314-961-4800. It's James Carlton your State Farm insurance agent and sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show. Ladies and gentlemen, you stuck around. You shall be rewarded. Here is Rich Eisen going in depth on the Ryan Kelly Morning After. When I watch your guys' show pre-post game, you just seem to really get along. And that chemistry, uh, which appears to be uh, quite clear on the air, must exist off the air in order for you guys to have the kind of show that you have. Is that a, a proper perception of uh, the crew oh, gosh, that you're yeah. Oh, yeah. You should see our text chains with each other during games. Would you like to tweet some of them out? I did, actually. Nice. <laughs> um, I did tweet out um, when when Kurt Warner, uh, when um, David Johnson of uh, Arizona scored a touchdown last week. And uh, Mariucci texted everybody, including Kurt Warner, is he the greatest player ever out of Northern Iowa? You know, um, <laughs> and Kurt was at home. Poor Kurt with his jaw broken and his jaw still wired shut responding i tweeted that out um we love each other we really do <laughs> you know and um marshall has become like a, a great friend of mine and um he, i love that guy he's on my show today as is kurt because we do things for each other we really do um marriage he's one of my favorite people i've ever met michael irvin was at my wedding because hmm. my wife um um spent years with Fox Sports as an anchor uh, prior to her doing sideline reporting for ESPN for years. So she knew Irv before I did, and uh, we got married in New York 12 years ago, and about a week before the wedding, she's walking the streets. She saw Irvin, and she said, do you want to come? He goes, what day? She told him the day. He said, I'll be there. That's she it. told me. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And uh, I'm walking down the aisle, and I look to my left, and I see sitting there in an electric blue tuxedo, <laughs> Michael Irvin. <laughs> and um, then my uh, my third and definitely final child was born um, two and a half years ago, two years ago. Uh, we had a baby naming in my house, and uh, we did it on a Saturday because couldn't do it on a Sunday because of obvious reasons during the fall. Mm-hmm. And um, long story short, the rabbi says to me about a week before, um, uh, in our ceremony, we have uh, a spot for a guest speaker at the end. And who would you like that to be? And I go home and I say to my wife, I'm like, look, you know, I know our families are going to be there, but in my mind, there's only one person that could speak. (laughs) And she, before I said it, she goes, you mean Irvin? I'm like, yep. <laughs> so, uh, at the end of the ceremony in my house, there's about 30 people there, and the rabbi says, now I'd like to call up Michael Irvin. And he strolls up to the front of the proceedings and and uh, has deadpans the perfect line saying that this is great, be- that he's doing this because most people with his last name being Irvin, everyone thinks he's Jewish anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and proceeds to give an incredible speech about fatherhood and parenthood and children and love and religion and you know just the greatest really so 
when you say that, it means a lot that it comes through the TV because yeah. it's true. It, it, really a- is. it absolutely does. I mean, so even on a game, in, in this case, the Rams and Buccaneers, uh, you know, it's, it's a fun show to watch because clearly you guys get along, bust each other's balls, but you got great insight and are comfortable disagreeing because clearly everybody gets along. Do you enjoy, I mean, I know it's a tough spot to answer the question, but do you enjoy doing the radio more than you enjoy doing TV? I realize they're different animals, but how do you how do you view that? I mean, you're well, I, I, look, I mean, in, in, uh, on TV, I'm sitting there suited and booted. And, um, you know, there's a certain construct to a segment with other analysts you have to work in. Um, there are times when you do conduct an interview. Um, but normally uh, when that happens on television, certainly if it's live TV or it's live to tape, it's five, six, seven minutes tops. Radio is just a totally different animal in terms of the timing. Um, I mean, this interview that we're doing right now could never have been conducted on television right. for that purpose alone. And and then there's the most important thing of all, which is the interaction with fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, turn into a phone line and, um, you know, that, that goes back to my stand-up comedy days, which I used to do back at the University of Michigan. I, I just love the give and take. I love finding out what's on fans' minds and, and interacting um, with people who I ordinarily wouldn't if I'm sitting there on, you know, on, on a television set suited and booted. So I love both. You know, obviously, but I do love the radio. I I, I think it's awesome. Yeah. I, I just think it's a great medium and it's a great way to find out what's on the minds of people who uh, who I ordinarily wouldn't be able to connect with. Yeah, it's the freedom of it. And I agree, man. Like when you can do like a whatever twenty minute interview, or you know, or oh, television, yeah. it's three four minutes at the very most. You got a producer and you're telling you to rap the whole deal. Well, you don't have a producer and you're telling you to rap. <laughs> I'd love that. I'd love I'd love to meet that producer. <laughs> oh, it's the Sea Master. He's the best in the business. You ought to hire him. When, when you went to the NFL Network. If I'm wrong on this, correct me. But wasn't it considered like, ooh, this is a risky move by Rich? Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Sure. Well, what, I mean, what were you thinking? Uh, I was thinking a lot. Um, that was right when I was getting married, actually. It happened uh, nine days before I turned to my left and saw Michael Irvin in an electric blue tuxedo. <laughs> um, this was a significant couple of weeks. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. I signed my, my NFL Network contract in Venice on my honeymoon, actually, and faxed it in with my 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 new wife asleep, uh, you know, in the in the room. But anyway, long story short, um, you know, I went from 100 million homes at ESPN to 12 million homes at the NFL Network. So that alone, um, you know, the, the ESPN platform is uh, second to none. Anyone who used to work there and no longer works there uh, will tell you that. Um, there's an adjustment that comes from that. But that said, um, when... Um, when I started doing SportsCenter, just, you know, real brief, in 96, when I first stepped up there in 96, uh, SportsCenter was all about what happened and showing what happened and how it happened. Because people, most people who were tuning into SportsCenter hadn't seen it yet yep. or had seen it only once and wanted to see it again. So it was a large storytelling aspect to it, writing about it, and then mixing it up with your fellow anchor. And then by the time I was leaving ESPN, it had turned into a show about why something happened, Mm -hmm. because they assumed you had already seen it. The bottom line was giving you the scores sometimes, revealing the final score of a a highlight I'm about to deliver. That drove me nuts. (laughs) Um, And and suddenly, uh, instead of doing a a highlight about showing what happened, 
I'm now playing referee, if you will, in a, in a sports version of crossfire between two analysts who are arguing about why something happened, and I, I hated that. There's no other way to put it. And I wanted to do other stuff with ESPN, and I was told I couldn't. So it was very easy. What, what, what kind decision. of stuff? What kind of stuff did you uh, want to like do? Like Good Morning America, you know, being part of that, doing other things in the in the Disney chest. You know, there's a lot of things at that in that platform. And they, wouldn't, that, and they wouldn't allow it at that time? Uh, no question. Wow. Because am I, am I wrong on this? When Josh Elliott was there, he started work on Good Morning America, and then uh, I can't Oh, recall. wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, things changed. Yeah, clearly. You know, I, I, this was 2003. Right. You know, and at the time, I guess they wanted to make an example of somebody who, who was just a sports center anchor and wanted to do more. And long story short, you know, when the NFL Network is saying move out to Los Angeles and be the tip of the NFL spear for a new project that has celebrity aspect as well as news and information, we're going to get you games at some point. I'm like, okay, I'm in. But what a defining moment. I mean, what a crucial decision. And, and it's clearly played out just Well, like I said, you know what I mean? Sports Center changed. There's just no two ways about yeah. it. Sports Center had changed, and I didn't want to do that 120 times anymore. Half the time was, you know, if I had to give you my average start time to my Sports Center and I was at ESPN, I would say it was probably like around 1 a.m. local time. I mean, it's just, and I was getting married. You know, I mean, who who, who wants to start? I mean, it's a great gig. Don't don't get me wrong. It's a great, great gig, and I loved doing it, you know, um, uh, the times I had on that show were incredible. Obviously, you know, I'm most associated doing that show with Stuart Scott, which was a blessing. And, um, but, uh, you know, the, the lifestyle was difficult to deal with as well as the, the whole concept of the show had changed. I was the only anchor who went in and said, can we do something about if I'm doing a lead into a highlight that I'm assuming folks at home don't know the result like an old school sports center. If mm -hmm. I'm continuing to do that, could you at, please, at least please come up with a technology to make sure the final score doesn't flash beneath me? <laughs> yeah, it's like you're As telling I'm a story and they're giving a spoiler alert at the bottom. Can't we, can't we at least do that? I was the only one who walked into an office <laughs> to management to say, what's up? You know, um, but... You know, long story short, I'm very happy with the move. And now that I'm doing two shows, radio, TV, mm -hmm. all that stuff, I'm, I'm having a blast. Rich, uh, Rich Eisen's our guest. You, you brought up Stuart Scott, and that was leading into my next question. I thought one of the most uh, eloquent and, uh, for lack of a better term, perhaps, Rich, beautiful moments in, in sports casting in 2015 was your tribute to your uh, late co-anchor when he passed away J January 4th, 2015, when you broadcast uh, your tribute to him, uh, and you were able to convey uh, how special he was to your audience. Take me back to that moment, if you would. Um, well, I mean, I, I knew it was coming. We all did, but n not many of us knew it was so close to coming, you know. So let's just put it this way. I'm sure many people are listening to this right now. I have a lot of friends who have been stricken with cancer and know they've been dealing with it in a very courageous way and um and know that you, you know the call could come at any time right mm -hmm. so the fact that it happened on live television for me um during a news and information television sports show like the one that i did with him it was really um uh the odds of that were slim you know because I, I, I only do that um, on Sundays, 
pretty much for the NFL Network and days like tonight here in St. Louis. So I, I, you know, they pulled me aside. One of my the the then executive producer of NFL Network, who spent a few years himself uh, at Sports Center uh, in the mid '90s, you know, pulled me aside and he said, "Stu's dead." And um, you know, I'm I'm just one of those types who I you know I don't care if I get emotional. That's just me. So I just put thoughts down on a on a on a piece of paper, just a couple of them. And um, they said, "You want to say something?" I'm like, "Sure," because they wanted to announce this, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so I did. And that's what you see on on uh, on YouTube. It's phenomenal for those who haven't seen it, but especially for you able to com- compose yourself in that moment and uh, and tell his story. Isn't it a great thing? And people talk about Jim Valvano's speech at the ESPYS, and, and now you hear that you know I've seen Dick Vitale talk about it, like how he was so sick that it was a miracle that he even could get up there and talk, mm-hmm. and that Stuart Scott was able to get up there and deliver really the 21st century's uh, you know signature speech regarding cancer and his health and to his daughters. What a brilliant! Yeah, you're speech. right. We'll we, we'll be playing that for. For, for decades, my kids who are seven, four, and two will be seeing that, and my wife and I will have quite the story to tell them about who Stuart was and and what he stood for, and you know, I look forward to that day to tell them. Rich Eisen, our guest here. Before we let you go, true or false? Uh, our producer, who I raved about, who isn't in my ear, the Sea Monster, yes. uh, says I believe Rich introduced Joe Buck to his wife Michelle. That's true. You are you are you are the matchmaker. He texted me saying, uh, "Tell me, tell me about her." essentially and um i i told him he was creeping me out (laughs) um and you know so that that was essentially it and then i i you know bounced the idea off of michelle and and then i just said you know at this point you're you're on your own joe (laughs) Uh, and and uh you know clearly joe joe has closing ability uh joe could come out in the ninth inning and Fire, fire, uh, fire the fastballs across the plate and, and get it done. Get the final three outs. Close the deal. <laughs> so that was essentially, yes, the case. I, and, I did, in fact, um, play a little bit of matchmaker, but that was that was the extent of it. You know, uh, some of our listeners, I think, are having trouble finding that special someone. Maybe you could help them out. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Well, it is that time of year. It is that time of year. It is that time of year. I do live reads on my radio show for flowers and berries, so why not love? <laughs> if you want to weave one in now, you feel free. Yeah, I tell them to go get pajamas for your loved one. You know? So that's just a natural extension of what I do on a daily basis. Rich Eisen, he hosts the NFL Network's TNF Game Day, which airs Thursday night, 5 p.m., leading up to each and every Thursday night football matchup, Rams and Bucks. Buccaneers tonight, 725 in the Rich Eisen Show. It's great radio, and you can also watch it on DirecTV's Audience Network, Fox Sports Radio, and NFL Now. Rich, great stuff, man. Thanks so much for the time. No, you bet. This was uh, a lot more than what I thought. Would I thought this would just be the, you know, the, hey, I'll, uh, hey folks, Kenny Britt, just look out for him tonight. <laughs> you know, I thought that that's what this entity, you, you really, you really, you know. You really sat me down. This is, uh, this is fun. It's, we're Thank still you. an awful show, just for the record. No, okay. Very good. I'll, I'll mark that down for the next time. <laughs> Thank you, Rich. So there it is. A double shoot. A surprise double shoot. We haven't done this before. Kind of a surprise that if you stick... It's kind of like at the end of the movie credits. You're like, all right, let's jet. And all of a sudden, you stuck around long enough to see that they got a little surprise for you. Well, that's what we did today. You were rewarded handsomely for sticking around. Julie Stewart-Banks, you knew that was coming. 
But then the surprise Rich Eisen play to make sure that you stuck around and were rewarded for sticking around and really enjoyed both those conversations as we uh, had kind of a surprise in-depth interview with Rich Eisen and really appreciate Julie Stewart-Banks talking it over here on the program and uh, getting her perspective on Barstool and also uh, female sportscasters not just serving as sideline reporters or anchors but actually being invited and encouraged to give opinions. To me, that just seems logical. Uh, but yet you don't see a whole lot of it at this moment. I'd like to think that that is changing. I just think it's personally good to get perspectives from all kinds of different backgrounds. And even if you disagree, at least a number of backgrounds and life experiences are represented. Uh, so with that, uh, we're always grateful for all of our sponsors, thehomeloanexpert.com, Ryan Kelly and his staff, James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agent, and, of course, Gateway Buick GMC at I-270 McDonald Boulevard online at stlouisbuickgmc.com. What a lot they have for you. What a lot they have. And by that, I mean they have an incredible selection of new cars. They have an incredible selection of pre-owned cars. And they also have 38 service bays to serve you at Gateway Buick GMC. They're online at stlouisbuickgmc.com. You can find them at I-270 McDonald Boulevard in the St. Louis area. It's Gateway the right way. For our executive producer, John Seymour, for our videographer, Nick Yale, I'm Tim McKernan. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network.